0: Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Guys, I'm really excited to have Laura here with us today. I got in touch with her after I had shared just some of our fun journey of having CPS called on us, and she reached out. And if you haven't had this happen to you yet, you might in the future, because I thought that this would never happen to me, and it did, and same story with Laura. And so she's going to share a little bit of her story today, and then I'm really excited about all the things that she's done on the back end of that, and how she's really put things into place to make some change in our schools. So, Laura, tell us about your family, about yourself, a little bit about your story, and then okay. we'll get into this. Okay, good. Um, Well, thank you first for having
1: me, Laura. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, we have um, a new organization um I founded called Facts for Safe Families, and it's working on behalf of adoptive and foster families and uh, families with kids of complex trauma um, to better educate, inform, and support both the families and then school personnel or any outside treatment personnel that they might be working with. Um, i've joined the council for one chance illinois which works on behalf of kids with unique abilities and I am also the founder of Sequoia Family Ministries at our church, which is um, an adoption support group for families. Um, again, providing education. We have speakers, resources, things like that. So been very, very busy. But um, first and foremost, I'm a mom of four. I have four amazing, beautiful girls ages 31 down to 17. And uh, we affectionately call them batch one and batch two. Badge 2 um, were adopted internationally, and they both have special needs, um, so it's kind of what's led me to this whole journey for Act 3 of my life, maybe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I'll go into a little bit of our story. Um, as you know, um, children from complex trauma, you know, have medical histories that we aren't aware of. And, um, sometimes their behaviors and emotions are very, you know, complex and difficult to understand. Um, and, you know, I've always been a really big believer in outside support. Um, I don't think we can do our job without a village. Um, We need everybody, right? We have OTs, PTs, therapists. I think one time I counted on one hand, maybe like 17 people that I had to contact, you know, on a weekly basis between both girls and just outside help, school people. So, you know. It's a lot, right? Um, but I'm focused primarily now on the dynamic of, um, school social work. Um, you know, primarily because of the environment that they work in. Um, they meet one on one with their children, um, alone in a room and they, um, have a lot of, um, uh, I guess deference, you know, their, their opinion at a school, a lot of times now, especially with, um, social emotional needs, um, teachers defer to them, um, other school personnel defer to them. So their opinion is so important and they're working with our fragile and vulnerable kids. And if there's not adequate understanding, and what we found um, with our experience and research was that there's just loopholes overall in the way school social work is done. And that can put an environment in that's not supportive of our kids and really not safe for our families. Um, so a little bit of our story. Um, I'm Take a little drink here. Um, so, you know, we had, um, like I said, raised a set of girls already. You know, we were going back in our forties for our kids and, you know, one has a, um uh, paralyzed right arm in hand. And you know, we were always working with different outside treatment professionals and always had a great relationship with them. Um, but our world was turned upside down in high school. Um, we had um an experience where I'd called an academic meeting, and um, instead of working on strategies to support my daughter, I found out that they had called DCFS on me, and I was accused of being um, uh, an abusive, emotionally abusive mother, um, too controlling, um, and unsafe for my, um, child to come home with me. Um, luckily I had a wonderful DCFS case worker who called me from the school. And when he heard the whole story, he just said, I don't even know why I'm here. So, um, I, you know, had a very good ending, but, you know, it was so shocking, especially the con- circumstances and, um, you know, my family was shocked. Everybody was shocked. No one could believe it. It was just so vastly different of, um, opinion of us and our family than what the reality was. So, you know, I, I really wanted to explore that. You know, I, I started searching for answers and, Figure out why did this happen to me? Um, I've always loved and cared for my kids. Um, our community knows that, you know, um, so I was trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, and we came across a lot of loopholes in school social work and the way it's done. Um, and, you know, with our kids, Um, They're so vulnerable. They've gone through really hard things. It's not always easy for um, school personnel to really understand what, you know, what, what the reality is, they only see one side of the story, they only see one piece of the picture, and if parents aren't included in those cases. Um, you know, it's hard for them to really know what's going on. Um, we have information that they don't have, and we see things that they don't
0: have. I'm sure you've had that experience too. Yes, we have. And I learned that it just takes one. It just takes one curious adult in the school. It doesn't have to be your child's teacher or anybody who's really working with your kid on a regular basis. It can be anybody. And they observe one thing. And they're like, oh, he must come from an abusive home. Let me call CPS because that's what they're trained to do. They see one thing and they're calling CPS. And whatever story they make up is what CPS gets.
1: Yes, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, is that um, they have good intentions, right? But the problem with adoption um, and foster care in particular is that what these kids need are attachment-based interventions, and we can talk about that later, but attachment is counterintuitive to what a school, especially high school, is doing. They're trying to prepare kids to go off into independence, right? But our kids, you know, aren't necessarily always ready for those situations, and, you know, inadvertently, they can roll back years and years of attachment bonding that we are trying to create with our children. Um, and, you know, so we need to have everybody on the same page. We need to have, you know, everybody working as a team with a shared vision, um, you know, and that's, uh, you know, and I I don't fault schools at all. I mean, that is what a high school tries to do. And for a neurotypical kid, you know, that that works. But our kids are sometimes way behind emotionally, developmentally, And they're just not ready for that, you know, and to promote to a child that they need their parents, that they need their guidance. It's almost really the opposite of what schools are doing right now. So. You know, we're trying to take the latest brain research and the latest um, information and strategies and now provide that to, um, you know, teachers and support personnel, really any caregiver, because like you said, it could be even a babysitter. It could be anybody, and they don't recognize what they're seeing. Um, So anyways, so yeah, so that's what we're doing. Um, So one of the things that we, you know, through the research, there's so much to it that we put together uh, a PowerPoint presentation that talks about those loopholes in school social work um so if you'd like to see that we can start
0: or if you have any questions yeah. first no I think that's perfect and for those who are listening she's going to share her her PowerPoint and I'll put it up on the YouTube channel if you didn't okay. know we had that we have a YouTube channel and you can watch all of these yeah. on YouTube so you can get a further more educated training here
1: okay so for Laura it here we go okay Can you see it? Are you good? Uh I can. So I call it the 411 on loopholes in school social work provision and oversight. Um, And there's a lot in each slide, but I'll try to just sum it up. Um, So really what we're finding is that school social work has um, progressed very quickly in the last five, even really 10 years, but especially the last five. Um, Mental health care, social work was done by counselors in schools. And the counseling, you know, really wrapped around academics, what they were going to do with their post, you know, secondary, um, um, you know, future. And what it's moving into is a lot of the SEL, um, social emotional learning, um, really worried about kids' mental health. You know, we do see all the headlines, you know, mental health is a crisis. um, So we definitely need um, school social workers. But what I think has happened is that things have moved so rapidly that we haven't been able to catch up with guidelines, safety precautions, procedures, parameters. It's just very loose. Um, So the question I feel like it needs to be answered is what should mental health care look like in a school setting? Um, They are vital. Social workers are absolutely vital to a child's success at school. I am not here to ever argue that we don't need additional people in our kids' lives. I think, you know, with the right support, all the addition we can have is wonderful. Um, But what's different, we found with school social workers, is that they're really an anomaly. All Professionals in a school have some sort of oversight with federal agencies, uh, state agencies, regulatory agencies, joint commissions, coming in and making sure that they are following the guidelines, um, you know, documenting correctly, things like that. Um, So OTs, PTs, teachers, you know, all of them have that. The only one missing is a school social worker. So it's really just an oversight. Um, again, I think it's just moved so rapidly. It's something that people aren't even aware of. Um, with the current setup, the way it works is one, um, professional body gives the licensing to a school social work. So in Illinois, where I am, it's the IDFPR, um, which is the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. Um, they, do not have any authority, though, to go into schools and, you know, check to see what's happening. Now, ISPE, which is the Illinois State Board of Ed, they can go into schools and they do that for teachers, but they have no authority or expertise on social work. So there, no one's checking. And And honestly, I've already talked to some stakeholders in it, and I don't even know that people really were aware of this. Um, and the danger is just you have, you know, mental health care is healthcare, care, right? And it's being done in a school setting with no checks and balances. Um, a social worker in a clinic or a hospital would have those checks and balances. So my question is, you know, why not schools? Um, In our state alone, we have 850 school districts with 2 million school children. Um, I have not checked Texas, but I imagine it's as big or bigger. Um, And, you know, there's there's these things that I think parents aren't aware of. So. School social workers are there to obviously work, you know, as a team with parents, with other teachers and help our kids. But they're also there to make sure that a kid, um, is not being abused. So in some states, um, social workers are allowed to meet, um, let's say, I think in Texas, it's two times or 20 minutes. Um, without consent of a parent or even notification to a parent. And that is to make sure that if a child is being abused, they can, you know, know that, right? Emergency situations, so important. In Illinois, up till just recently, it was actually eight times for 90 minutes. Um, We have a state that um, really does believe strongly in school social work, Um, I also do. So I, you know, don't have any problem with that. Um, but now they just changed it to 12 hours. So that means we have a school social worker meeting 12 hours with a child without consent or notification of a parent. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm picking a doctor or someone I look at their credentials. I want to know what their training is. I want to know if they're a good fit for my child and the family. And I feel like 12 hours is a lot of therapy time um, without a parent knowing. Um, But fine, that's, you know, how our state's set up. But then we have to also talk about, well, how is it set up, right? What are the cons, uh, wh- you know, if we're not going to do consent right away, then what are the goals? What are they keeping progress notes? Is there documentation? Do they have the right information on our child? I mean, there's so many unknowns. And again, as we talked about, they're only seeing one piece of the picture. So, um, I, I feel like this again is another loophole that we need to have you know, established guidelines, parameters. Um, we need to know the credentials. You know, if you go to um, a school website, often they might list who the school social workers are. Sometimes there's even a picture. Rarely are the credentials there. They're training anything for a parent to know. And, you know, from I think all parents um, have trust in doctors and situations, the more information they know. Um, so that's something, you know, we found. Um, so my goal with, um, Facts for Safe Families is to work on behalf of these kids and families and try to close these loopholes. Um, you know, just like in clinics and hospitals, I feel that school social workers need checks and balances. Um, another loophole we found is that in a complaint process, um, oftentimes parents, if they do have... Um, issues might call a school, might email a school, um, but unfortunately, those don't leave a paper trail, um, a you'd have to file what's called a formal legal grievance. You can do it on your own. You don't need a lawyer to do it, but it is an extra step. It is, you know, extra attention on your family, um, trying to, um, you know, you might be interviewed, um, and it triggers a, a, quote, unquote, an investigation. Um, but this investigation is done by the school. Um, it is not done by an outside entity. And, you know, I'm a reading tutor. Um, I go into kids' homes. I used to be a substitute teacher, so I like to use teacher, you know, phrases whenever I can. And I feel like this is a little like we don't let our kids grade their own tests. You know, you need an outside neutral body to really be able to come in and say, you know, let's, let's examine what's going on and let's see what's happening. So again, right. another loophole. That's um really disturbing. Well, and, you know, for kids with disabilities, you know, who are most vulnerable, fragile, you know, they have, again, emotions and behaviors that aren't easily understood. Um, Yeah, it, it can be harmful.
0: Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting, like yourself or your marriage, the rest of your family or the systems in your home. Or maybe you're just ready for a change but you don't know where to start that's where we come in mama systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized more peaceful and more balanced and so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day we'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community that you take care of yourself your marriage and the rest of your family and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right. Back to our show. It can be really so one of One of the things, because the fun fact is, is that we've actually had CPS called on us twice. Mm-hmm. Once was for my daughter. It mm-hmm. was, you know. She was in second grade, but she's more like a three-year-old level, right? So she's Mm -hmm. picking up food off the floor and taking food from other people's plates. She came with a lunch to school, but she's eating everybody else's lunch, right? So she's in the sped department. She's struggling, right? However, a teacher sees this, and of course, we're not feeding her. We must be neglecting her, and so CPS comes out, does an investigation, yada yada. And the next time around, my older son, who has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and he he has a lot of anchor issues. And um we had an incident where he punched a hole through the glass in the front door and it scared me. Like mm-hmm. that's scary to have your kids so out of control that you're trying to figure out what to do and how to keep everybody else safe and all of those things, right? Yeah. And so we called and reached out to a lady who's supposedly on our team. Um and she was, she's the one providing, helping provide services for our kids. And I was like, I just don't know what to do. I feel like we've reached a new level and I don't feel like anybody knows what's happening. Like I go to professionals and everybody's like, I don't know. I've never seen this before, which is always the best thing to hear. Um, and sadly, I think all too common a thing when you have a kid with FASD, all this to say her go-to plan was to call CPS. And thinking that they could help with resources. And I'm like, I don't, they don't do that. But then you don't want to really want to argue too much on people calling CPS. Cause I'm like, I have nothing to hide. So this caseworker came out and she's been a social worker for like decades. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to explain that he has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It's just like, what's that? What's that? And I'm like, you work in the foster care system. 70% of the kids in the foster care system, have this, like what in the world, how do you not know about this? And we're talking mm-hmm. about trauma, and she's not trauma informed at all. Has no idea, no training, nothing. And so I think about that lady giving guidance to my kids when they're struggling in school and dealing with different situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, God love her. I'm sure she's doing the best she can and whatever, but she's not qualified mm-hmm. to be going into people's homes and determining whether or not their condition yeah. is taken away, right?
1: Well, and that's a danger. Our kids will present themselves differently in school than they will at home. Almost 90% of the time, you know, maybe a hundred percent. Um, I mean, it's been proven. Um, kids with a attachment disorder, and by the way, you you, you made a key point. Um, schools will tell you that they're trauma informed, right? Mm-hmm. And trauma, we all who've been, you know, schooled in it. We're talking about ACE scores, um, violence in the home, poverty, all those things can affect a child. However, attachment trauma is different, and you can't deal with it in the same way. Attachment trauma requires uh, steering a child to trust their parents, right, To, Mm -hmm. to get guidance from their parents. And if you don't have that understanding, you know, these DCFS calls, they're harmful to families. I mean, I don't know about you, but our family was in shock. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever forget that day. Um, it And it, it even, you know, through our children off, right. Because they're like, Why, why would they call? Why would, you know, you count on the adults to just, to do some discernment and, and, um, you know, it's very, that's the other thing we found with mandatory reporting, um, reasonable suspicion. Well, what is that? Right. There's, there's very little training around that and, um, to, it's just complicated. It's complicated. And, you know, this is the problem with mental health care, right? Because it's fluid. It's complex. There's a lot of pieces. Um, and again, that's why I feel like, you know, we're really looking at having to do a lot more training, um, for schools on adoption and foster care. I mean, really in the last, if, if anybody was trained even more than five years ago, they don't have the latest info. You know, we, we have found that through and through. So, um, and, and we can talk about that some more. Um, and, oh, and then another point on, uh, my slide is that, you know, families from lower socioeconomic situations, families of color, they are disproportionately affected by these things. And, you know, I, I'm very cognizant that we were able to, um, you know, change things for my daughter. Um, she was, we sent her to a private school. Um, their philosophy there is if, if they're not working on behalf of the whole family, they're not working on behalf of the child, right? totally different circumstance. My daughter has flourished in that school. Um, she has, um, been able to, uh, you know, not even need social work minutes. I mean, from after about the first month, it was like been a complete, complete change. Um, so, you know, again, you know, we need to make that happen though for everyone and for all schools. Um, so let's move on. Yes. So again, um, you know, parents need to have trust. Um, and until we really answer the question of what health care looks like, mental health care looks like in a school, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, we're going to run into situations like this where pa- families aren't supported. Um, I'm really concerned about it from the fact of vulnerable children. Um, You know, One Chance, Illinois, that I'm going to be a part of works on behalf of kids with unique abilities. And a lot of times these kids who are on, you know, 504s or have some sort of a medical need also um, are seeing a social worker um, and they have very complex situations. Um, So, you know, if a parent isn't consulted, um, if attachment-based interventions, you know, aren't used things can go haywire pretty quick. Um, So one of the things that I did uh, put together on my own um, Facts for Safe Families is working um, with, like I said, all stakeholders. Our goal is to um, Just change the game, you know, in Illinois and try to get um, maybe some legislation passed that tighten, you know, what the role is of a school social worker, how it's done, um, how it's supervised. Um, but until then, districts can really implement on their own, you know, some sort of a guideline themselves. So for our district, I put together the Family Bill of Rights for Safety and Medical and Healthcare Treatment. Um, and for medical and mental health care treatment. Thank you. Um, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a way to get them looking at what's missing. Um, you know, it's a starting point. I don't expect that the school's just gonna, you know, sign on to everything that I've done. Um, but we're hoping that they can really look at it and critically examine it. Um, You know, um, and then again, going back to a teacher, you know, uh, it's simple math. I feel like kids do better with the addition of people in their family that can support them, um, but not the subtraction of the people who are the most important, which are the parents. Um, So that's pretty much, you know, where we're at with that. Um, again, you know, I feel that we are working, you know, to, um, you know, just drive the conversation and build awareness. Um, it's just so important, you know, that we're all being able to talk about these things. You know, I'm trying to, one of the things we're doing on Facts for Safe Families is trying to remove the stigma of talking about this, right? Parents don't want to talk about their kids' mental health care. They um, are ashamed. You know, when you first find out DCFS has called on you, I'm sure your first, you know, impression is like, oh my gosh, you know, why is this happening? You're so embarrassed. You're so ashamed. And I'd love to be able to take away that from parents and say, no, this is your real life experience, you know, so let's talk about those things. Let's, let's see what we can do to make change. And if we don't know your story, we can't fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's really what's driven me, you know, as I've gone through and learned about all this, I thought, wow, you know, this is something that really needs to be changed. Um, So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, so it's, you know, I'm kind of trying to build what wasn't there for me, right? The Sequoia Family Ministry is, um, you know, we started with six families. Now we're up to 24 families, which is so exciting. Um, and we meet, we get, uh, once a month in person and then once a month virtually. And we have speakers that come and speak. We cover, you know, books. We, Um, talk, we do check-ins, you see what people are experiencing and what's going on. Um, and that's, you know, been really wonderful. Um, it's been really exciting to start to, um, you know, put forth an education resource, source guide. Um, we just finished it and it's called FACTS, um, which, uh, FACTS stands for Foster and Adopted. Um, let me see if I can get it. Children teaching supports. So facts, and the first one that we're doing is for teachers and um uh, support personnel, and caregivers. So that's the first uh, resource that we've put together. Um, we plan to do more um, for um parents, for, you know, as things evolve, we hear more stories, what people need. We can take this information and build it out, you know, for others. Um, but that, that to me was the starting point and the priority. Um, we really, you know, kids spend, of their time at school. And then they come home and it's just, like I said, so important that we're all on the same page.
0: Um, I don't know if you found that experience too. Oh, hands down. And I think that equipping our teachers, like the number one way to go Mm -hmm. action steps. If mamas, if you're listening you're thinking, okay, great. There's a big problem. What do I do? I think grabbing this resource that she has with the little trainings for teachers and just that education piece. And if there's something in there that doesn't cover your child's specific needs, write a letter to the teachers, attach it to that, give it to them at the meet the house or meet the teacher at the yes. open house, whatever happens at the beginning of the year, hand it to the teachers and say, Hey, I would love for you to read over this. It'll just explain my kiddo a little bit more to you. Um, I think I shared on the honestly adoption podcast that we create little booklets every year that tell all about FASD because in my experience, nobody knows about it. Right. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know the, the effects. They don't know anything about it. And so we do a little letter of like, Hey, here's where they came from. Here's, here's their story. This is our journey because what I've learned is that they're going to make up stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And I want them to be informed stories so that they're not creating us to be this monstrous family. That's yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: And that's the thing about it, right? So attachment trauma, the difference is is that it involved their primary caregiver. There was a break in the attachment. And it also can be that there was prenatal stress or there was orphanage care or all sorts of things that affect them bonding to a primary caregiver. So then we come along as the adoptive moms. You know, we have these big hearts and we want to change it for them. And, you know, we're, I mean, I've just found adoptive. And foster families to be ones of great hope, right? We wouldn't do it if we didn't believe in that. And, um, you know, we want to fix it for them. And, and, and you just can't, you know, like you said, they're going to say, you know, complain about the mom and the complaint. They're the disciplinarian. They're the, you know, one that they want, the mom wants to attach and the child had a break in the attachment. So they're going to fight that attachment. Um, and, you know, all of that's so counterintuitive to what they, uh, schools would see from neurotypical kids. Um, so yes, um, if people want to go to my website, um, we will make that available free for parents. Um, the the difference, um, so our guide compared to others, um, because trust me, I've tried to find so many others <laughs> online, they are sometimes 80-page documents or, or almost too simple, a one-page document, where it really doesn't apply at all to your situation. Um, so we needed kind of something... That was an overview, so what we talk about is um you know the overview of what attachment trauma is and how it's different from other types of trauma. Um, then we talk about what to expect and just kind of some bullet points for what behaviors or conditions you know they might see with a child like that um and then we try then we do ask have a little section on how to help and again. It's counterintuitive to a school, especially middle schools and high schools, to want to involve parents, but that is exactly what these children need. Um, We need that communication back and forth um, with those uh, school personnel. Um, And then we have a section that um, talks, it has three questions uh, for the provider, caregiver, um, whoever's working with your child to ask themselves, because what... um, you know, we, we, we don't all have the right answers, right? None of us do. Um, I think parents are definitely the experts and have probably more information than anybody. But again, we're all human. None of us have it all right. But you can ask yourself the right questions, which are things like, you know, what's what's been your experience and training and background? Do you really understand what this emotion and behavior is? Do I have um a great understanding of attachment and and what attachment interventions are. And if we can get those um, per- school personnel to ask those questions, because if the answers know that they don't, then the parent, you know, we can provide, like you said, supplemental information for them. Oh, here's a book, you know, here's a, here's another packet, you know, or here's something about my child that, you know, you might need, but until we kind of get them questioning, which is hard, right? They, they've, they, Have gone through a lot of training. Some of our, you know, um, sometimes it's an LCSW who's seeing the child in a school. An LCSW, you know, can diagnose and treat, which is wonderful for a clinical setting. But if you're in a school and you're only getting one side of the story, it's very difficult to diagnose and treat. So Again, you know, that's kind of it's it's a short packet. It does talk a little bit about reactive attachment disorder. Um, we mentioned FASD, we don't go into it a lot, um, but that is something like you said, in the last five years, I think people are starting to clue in on now that you know they definitely could. We don't know that they didn't, right? We don't know what their histories are. When we got our children it was a, you know, well, here they are, you know, they had orphanage care. There's some time prior to the orphanage care that we don't know what happened. So we're kind of just looking at the symptoms and then going back and figuring out what happened. Um, and I feel like FASD can be like that too, as well. Are you finding that?
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. Cause most of us don't know. Like, we didn't know mom, we didn't want her drink. Right. So we yeah. had to do research on our end to Dig in and find police reports and all those things, right, to actually get the information. But when you start looking into FASD and seeing all the things, it's, yeah, I make up that it's pretty easy to be like, check, 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 yep, check. And you just keep checking. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is a real option for us, Thank right? Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: And, you know, and so, again, you know, you want to be able to support your child, you know, in your child's case, you know, how beautiful would it have been had that, you know, school personnel or whoever would recognize that and said, oh, you know what, let me do a little bit of checking here. Instead of making a really quick assessment and call, they kind of got a full picture Um, because, you know, what, it's just stressing to a child too to have. <laughs> Your mom called DCFS. I mean, it's distressing for everybody. So rather than inflict more trauma and pain on an already difficult situation, you know, the other option would be to have, again, a little bit more discernment, understanding, and, you know, hopefully by having, you know, some sort of a packet like this to start a relationship with someone, because again, they have had lots of training and it's hard to have to look at things through a different lens. But I think our kids and certainly our experiences,
0: um, you know, prove that out. So and those kids are worth it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and how succinctly you've figured all this out and are sharing it with us as mamas so that we can advocate best for our kids. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. And no, it's it's a wonderful, you know, to be a mama advocate too. And um, you know, we 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 have the ability through I think these opportunity or experiences to look at them as an opportunity to make some change. You know, it's not easy, um, definitely not fun to go, you know, in public and say, Yeah, DCFS was called on me. But, you know, until we really look at all of these situations, they're in the shadows
0: and they can't be solved if, if they're not exposed. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that a lot more than we know about, or that talk about it have been called whenever I talked to our um, adoption caseworker with our agency. And I called her and I said, Hey, I just want, you to know, this is going on. She's like, this is happening to all my families right now. And I'm like, Oh, that makes me feel better. Right. That because people don't understand trauma, they don't understand all the things. So I'm grateful. for they're doing Yeah. It.
1: And it does, it makes you feel better to know
0: that, right? But
1: that's a problem. We can't let that continue. Like that's Absolutely. not, that's not yeah. a solution to help, right? That's not a solution for support. Um, and that's where, you know, again, I think that if we can get some, you know, parameters in the way social work is provided for and supervised, we can also fix a lot of that. You know, I mean, it's a double thing. It's, you know, what we can do now as parents is present information and all of that. But I think long term, what really needs to happen is we do need to look at that piece of the picture really strongly and, and how, how is mental health care being provided for in schools? You know, because millions and millions of dollars are being put on these, um, uh, you know, into schools for mental health care. And so again, I feel like social work or, counseling started out one way and now it's moving into a a bigger piece but if they're going to delve into family situations and adoption and you know um you know adoption is a really private sensitive subject that involves abandonment you know at sometimes at birth or going through foster care and um you know is that is that something that should be talked about in a school I don't know, you know, it is, does it have to do with academics? You know, I think some of these things are best left to outside treatment professionals. Um, But again, you know, until we have kind of, you know, well, what's on the school's responsibility, what's on an outside treatment professional's responsibility, you know, there's just
0: so much gray area right now. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put all the links to you notes So that way everybody can find you and yeah. you know, reach out yeah. to you or grab the facts sheet and educate That'd their people great. around them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yes, you're welcome.
0: Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.